from PRX. This is Studio 360. I'm Kurt Anderson. I'm a longtime fan of Susan Choi. Her first novels I read were American Woman, about a fictionalized Patty Hearst, and A Person of Interest, about a campus bombing, both of which were part of my reading prep for writing my own novel about late 60s radicals. Her new novel, Just Out, is Trust Exercise, about teenagers and trust and betrayal and the blurry lines between fiction and real life. I was eager to meet Susan Choi and talk with her about the new book. And when she got to Studio 360, more delighted than dismayed to learn that we'd already met on the phone 20 years ago when I was a New Yorker writer and she was a New Yorker fact checker. And to learn that we'd lived a couple of blocks apart in Brooklyn for a decade. So the conversation started right off with a pretty neighborly vibe. So, Susan, the the main characters in this novel are students at a performing arts high school in the South in the 1980s. Why, you uh, attended the High School for the Performing Arts and Visual Arts in Houston in the 1980s. Um, So I'm assuming, like these kids, you two were in the theater department? I was in the theater department. This feels like a real gotcha moment, yes. I did attend a theater arts program when I was in high school. And, and was your experience being this theater student at this performing arts high school, what was your feeling about it? I loved going to a theater arts high school. I begged my parents to let me go to this school. They wanted me to go to a traditional academic school where I could have, you know, taken all of the APs and the foreign languages and, and actually prepared for college, which I didn't really do. Instead, I went to this theater arts school where I had really a wonderful time for the most part. Uh-huh. Um, so in that sense, it's very different from the characters I'm writing about. Uh-huh. So adolescence is intense under any construction, but coming of age, being an adolescent, going through puberty, and being in a theater program like perhaps you were in, certainly like your characters are in, so the hormones plus the vulnerability and the ego deconstruction, I'd never thought of it as potentially dangerous, but it sounds potentially dangerous. Yeah, it does sound potentially (laughs) dangerous. It seems like it should be illegal. I think it's really worth noting that, like, it's such an intense time of life, which you don't, obviously, like, none of us realize when we're going through that time of life how intense it is, right? You don't have the perspective. It it seems like one of the morals of this story is that we don't ever recover from being 15 years old. I think no matter what sort of a 15 (laughs) you had, you probably— I don't, I don't know if I'd say you never recover, but I think that moment of life is a really, really intense and powerful and defining one. Um, I was done with the book by the time the Kavanaugh hearings riveted all of us last fall, but— Right. You know, I, I hadn't really, thought of that. I was really— I put struck. that out of my head. You <laughs> Did you? Well, yeah. Um, it was this sort of moment at which, as a nation, we all— Went back there. Went back there and thought, like, yeah, wow— I was 15 once, too, and it was a really important moment. Yeah. Highly relevant, now that you mention it, to how 15-year-olds act. It reminds you that you were such a different person at that moment of your life, but also that moment of life is so profound Mm. and affecting. Yes. So will you read something? Yeah. So the first excerpt that I'll read is from early in the book, and it's early in the school year for two students at this school, Sarah and David. They're both theater students who have— been doing um, all sorts of 
different things, including trust exercises with their teacher, Mr. Kingsley, and they had a thing for each other. And um, that thing hasn't been acknowledged yet. It hasn't been admitted, but it's going to be soon. In trust exercises one day, perhaps late in the fall, David and Sarah were never quite sure. They would not speak of it until summer. Mr. Kingsley turned off all the lights in the windowless rehearsal room, plunged them into a locked, lightless vault. At one end of the rectangular room was a raised platform stage, 30 inches or so off the floor. Once the lights were turned off in the absolute silence, they heard Mr. Kingsley skim the length of the opposite wall and step onto the stage, the edge of which they faintly discerned from bits of luminescent tape that hovered in a broken line like a thin constellation. Long after their eyes had adjusted, they saw nothing but this, a darkness like that of the womb or the grave. From the stage came his stern, quiet voice, voiding them of all previous time, stripping them of all knowledge. They were blind, newborn babes and must venture themselves through the darkness and see what they found. Immediately, bodies encountered each other and startled away. He heard this, or presumed it. Is that some other creature with me in the darkness? He whispered, ventriloquizing their apprehension. What does it have? What do I have? Four limbs that carry me forward and back. Skin that can sense cold and hot. Rough and smooth. What is it? What am I? What are we? That's Susan Choi reading from her new novel, Trust Exercise. There, there's a scene in one of your earlier books, American Woman, um, where the characters also play this game. There is. Um, so I guess you must have done trust exercises, and they were meaningful to you. I've been interested in this kind of enforced group activity for the sake of, I guess you could say in both cases— a social engineering outcome, right? Yeah. Like an American woman, the characters do something very, very similar, and it is in the service of turning themselves into uh, revolutionaries, guerrillas. And this is, by the way, a novel based on a character very much like Patty Hearst. Very much <laughs> like um, someone who experiences a, a similar series of extremely strange yeah. Yeah. Um, episodes, including you know a politically motivated kidnapping. Yeah, and then in, in this book, Trust Exercise, the characters are also, they're being formed and molded by an ideology, basically. They have a teacher who is remaking them in accordance with what they don't really recognize at the time is an ideology, right? right. It's, an, it's an ideology of emotional— Sensitivity. Yeah, yeah right. emotional daring and, you know— individual freedom and and they don't they're young so they don't recognize that this is an ideological project really that they're a part of if not a cult of a kind if not a cult of a kind i mean no one no one ever calls it that but um one of the things that i learned about certain sorts of trust exercises that i was really interested in because you know these are acting exercises that i didn't make up uh, by any stretch. But these are codified exercises. And when I was first thinking about them, even before I was working on this book, when I thought I was going to write a really different book, one of the things that intrigued me was that I discovered that the Church of Scientology 
engages in practices that are really almost identical Hmm. to certain aspects of Meisner technique, which is at the root of a lot of the trust exercises that I encountered when I was a student. And so, you know, you said cult. You you said it, not me. But um, and there are a lot of actors in that one. (laughs) Well, there are, and and it's no it's no accident. Um, There's a an amazing sort of um, connection between. Sanford Meisner's acting technique and L. Ron Hubbard's uh, religious practices as he defined them. I mean, that's not a coincidence. I'm interested. I can't let you uh, just say, and I was working on another book then and before this one. So when you're working on another book, do you just like, eh, this isn't working and toss it away and then start in on this one? Or did it become this? I mean, there was another book that I was working on that I was working on it for the entire time that I was writing this book. This book was my side project because I um, actually had a a real book, quote unquote, that I was working on (laughs) for years. I'm still working on it. You know, so that was like a defined project that I kept needing to take a break from. And so every time I needed a break, I would go and work on— And and write a nice novel. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, Trust Exercise started out being just a sort of a fun file on my hard drive that I would— you know, play around with when my real and important project How wasn't funny. going well. How funny. Right. So, so like, this book actually really got the benefit of my not paying that much attention to it, to be honest. Like, I would dip into it when I felt more compelled by it than the thing that I was, quote-unquote, supposed to be working on. And then as soon as it stopped being fun, I'd put it down again and go back to the wow. other thing. The benefit is that when I went back to it, surprising ideas would occur to me about it that I don't think necessarily would have occurred to me if this had been my focus. Do you know what I mean? Uh If I'd been like sitting at the desk going, what next? How do I fix it? How do I finish it? Right, right, right. As a problem to be solved. As a problem to be solved. Yeah, like there's a lot to be said for, you know, the inactive phase of problem solving. Mm. Oh, for sure. If you have a a big problem and you just don't think about it for a while. But this is a bigger deal than this. This almost seems like if you could repeat it, like – Good way to write book. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, now you've just ruined it for I know. me. Kurt, I'll never be able to do it again. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. The show will resume very, very shortly. But first, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Studio 360 Show. And now, back to the podcast. So, Susan, will you read more about the aforementioned Mr. Kingsley? Yeah, so... The teacher that these students look up to um, is Mr. Kingsley, and he's sophisticated, he's brilliant, he's inspiring. Um, they're young, and they long to gain his approval. And he's, he's the drama teacher. He's the drama teacher, yeah. Mr. Kingsley, their teacher, lived with a man he called his husband. He twinkled at them provocatively when he said this. This was 1982, far from New York. None of them except for Sarah had ever known a man who might call another man his husband while twinkling provocatively. None of them had ever known a man who'd lived many years in New York, who'd been a member of the original Broadway cast of Cabaret, who referred to Joel Gray when reminiscing on these times as Joel. None of them, again except Sarah, had ever known a man on whose office wall might hang, among other fascinating and risque memorabilia, a photograph of an exuberant and barely clad woman, heavily made up, flinging her arms wide and high, who somehow, despite zero resemblance, was strangely reminiscent of Mr. Kingsley himself, 
and who was rumored to be Mr. Kingsley, though no one believed it. That is Susan Choi reading from her novel, Trust Exercise. I feel like most people have had a Mr. Kingsley in junior high school or high school. This charismatic, doesn't condescend to you, treats you like an adult, expects a lot out of you. I mean, those are powerful teacher experiences. Yeah, yeah. I think that there are Mr. Kingsleys throughout all of our educational experiences, and they're not necessarily theater teachers. Um, In this world, the fact that Mr. Kingsley is gay is, for the students, a part of the way in which he seems superior to everything that they've known. He's iconoclastic. He's different. He's unapologetically... um, He's artsy. He's not like your mom and dad. He's not like your mom and dad. He's really um, urbane. Speaking of Mr. Kingsley, I suddenly think, oh, Dead Poet Society and this Robin Williams character who was the Mr. Kingsley of that show. Were you familiar with that? Did you see that movie at the time? I absolutely saw that movie in the theater and, you know, cried like a baby through it. And I've never until now made the connection between this material and, and that movie. But you're right. It's absolutely similar. Yeah. Um, you, you've written a lot about, not just in this book, but others, about the relationships between teachers and students. Yeah. Uh, wh- why does that interest What is so up much? with that? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, just to be the armchair psychologist, like, could it be that my father was a teacher for decades? And that's what I do for a living, too. So I think it's an abiding source of interest. What did your father teach, by the way? My father was a mathematician, so kind of a different subject. Uh- Yes. <laughs> then, then, um, but my, but his father was a literature professor. So huh. you see, it skips generations. Um, I mean, I mean, we now in this moment certainly talk more than ever about the power and balance of teachers and students and all that. Is that part of the interest? Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's that's really interesting to me. I think it's really interesting to a lot of us right now to think about. You know, when I was a student, I think that there was a real uh, seduction to the idea that there was no power imbalance, right? That you could be the same as your teacher. If you were smart, if you were talented, if you were special in some way, and I, I say that in deep quotes, like if you could believe yourself to be special, if you could seize the attention of this person, that might mean you were the same as them. You know, and I think that that's one of the things that's going on in trust exercise is that there's an idea that it's possible to be the same as Mr. Kingsley as one of his students. It's possible if you're special, if you're talented, if you catch his eye, to be um, somehow on the same level right. as he is in terms of power, that there isn't going to be this radical differential that's going to color everything that happens. And that was a romance that I experienced all through my years as a student, through high school, college, graduate school. I think there was always that sense of a false equality that you wanted to pursue. Um, going to avoid spoilers, I hope, I think, but this twist happens in the middle of the book um, that's pretty meta, and, and all these high school kids who have been reading about uh, suddenly are the real people on whom one of them has based the characters in the first part of the book, and they've also read it, um, which makes it sound more metafictional than it comes across as. You, oh, you, yeah, please don't use the word. Don't use the, the M, M word. word. <laughs> Don't. But you do have this character who is talked about in the first part of the book and then in the second part of the book pops in as the narrator disputing how she was depicted earlier. 
And then within a single sentence as the narrator, she goes from the first person I uh, and then talks about herself in the third person as Karen. And I was like, what? What's going on here? What, what, what version of reality has Susan led me by the hand into? Yeah, it's funny because it was so much fun to write in that voice. And I guess the voice seems like a huge shift. And I guess the voice seems as if it's doing all these crazy things. But her, her voice made sense to me immediately. I've never had really such an easy time with a narrative voice. You yeah. know, it wasn't like a um, those metafictional ideas of, it, that you just have. Oh, you just said it again. I'm sorry. But I'm saying it doesn't do that thing that I always hated about the lords of metafiction doing when I read them in college in the 70s, which is like, what? I'm just supposed to not care about these characters or not like this story. Whereas this, your novel, manages to have have it both ways. That it's, here's a smart, interesting thing that happened, but I still care about the characters as characters. Well, that's great to hear. And I think maybe if it works, the reason it works is because really that voice that we're talking about, this voice that, that kind of enters the story um, unexpectedly, I mean, that voice represented like an emotional reaction to me because I was thinking about storytelling and who gets to tell stories and who gets to be told about and how annoying that could be. Like, the person you loved is telling your story and it doesn't sound right. That's upsetting. And I think that that's why that voice interrupts, basically. Interrupts and disputes. Yes. Um, Speaking of your Patty Hearst novel, American Woman, um... It's been turned into a movie that's it about has. to open. It has. It's so exciting. It's been turned into a movie that is going to be at the Tribeca Film Festival. Run, don't walk. And will and will soon be in theaters everywhere? One hopes. And has that ever happened to you before, which is to say a novel of yours adapted? No, this is, the, this is the first time. It's really exciting. I got to visit set, and that was really exciting. It was a just delightful experience to, you know, walk around amid, like, tables covered with ashtrays because it's the 70s in the movie and you need a lot of ashtrays to dress a set. It was just utterly delightful to both feel as if something that I had done long ago had sparked this great enterprise and to feel like it really had nothing to do with me. You know, I didn't have any anxiety about like, oh, what will it be like? I was just like, this is this is happening. It's like having your child become an adult. Exactly. It really is. I mean, you know, I don't know what that's like because my, my older child it's like is— like that. Except without the ashtrays. Well, without the ashtrays, one hopes. My older child is 14, and he is unprecedentedly independent in the world. I mean, this is his first year of high school. And, yeah, you're right. It's similar because he just goes off and does his thing. And it's amazing to watch. Um, Susan Choi, uh, I've been a fan, longtime fan, first-time talker. Um, (laughs) Thanks for uh, coming in. This was a great pleasure. It was a great pleasure for me, too. Thank you. Susan Choi's novel Trust Exercise will be out April 9th. The movie, based on her earlier book, American Woman, will premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival at the end of this month. And meanwhile, she's teaching writing at Yale. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 at iTunes or Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. 